Welcome to Episode 3 of the Power Podcast, presented by Power Magazine and PowerMag.com. The Power Podcast is the latest offering from the longest-running power industry publication in the world. Established in 1882, the Power brand is dedicated to providing its global audience with news and information important to the power generation industry. Now here's the host of the Power Podcast, Executive Editor Aaron Larson. I'm really excited about today's episode. I'm going to be speaking with Eric Gebhardt, Vice President of Systems and Innovation for GE Power, about a television special that will air on the Viceland Network beginning Monday, October 9th, and continuing throughout the week. The show is called Drone Week and airs at 7 p.m. on the East Coast. Listeners should check their local listings for the time in their area. This is the third year that GE has broadcast footage from drones taken from around the world. The first year, the company posted live footage on Periscope, and last year, it did the same on Facebook. This is the first year that it will air on Viceland. Each night, a different energy-related theme will be the focus, and the show will include an expert panel that will discuss the featured topic of the night. On Monday, wind power will take center stage. The episode will explore the largest wind farm in western Canada. Tuesday, solar will be the focus, with the world's largest solar park in Dubai being one of the sites visited by drones. Wednesday, the crew visits a pumped storage hydropower station. Thursday, mobile power is shown to be a solution for some remote locations in Indonesia. And the week rounds out on Friday with an episode about data-powered cities. In that show, San Diego is featured for deploying the world's largest smart city IoT platform, which is transforming city lights into a connected digital infrastructure. I've already got my DVR programmed to record all of the episodes, and I'm really looking forward to learning more about each of the projects featured and seeing them through the eyes of a drone. The promo I saw had some really incredible footage, including some beautiful landscape and close-up views of power systems that you just don't see every day. The teaser said, It's like Shark Week, but with drones. At this point, I'd like to bring in Eric Gebhardt to tell us more about the different topics that Drone Week will cover and give kind of a high-level overview of what GE is doing in each of those technology arenas. Eric, welcome to the podcast. Please give listeners a little bit of background on what you've been involved in during your time with GE. Hi, Aaron. Great to uh, be on with you. Just uh, a little on my background, I've got uh, 26 pushing 27 years with GE. Uh, I've been in the energy space the uh, the entire time uh, from uh, thermal technologies, nuclear technologies, uh, worked in wind when we first made the acquisitions there, uh, worked on the T&D side, and I even spent uh, five years on the oil and gas side of the business uh, uh, before most recently coming back into power. So, uh, mostly on the engineering side, but also some product management and uh, innovation mixed in there. All right. Well, that sounds like a great background. I'd like to start at the beginning of Drone Week and just work our way through each of the episodes. As I mentioned earlier, Monday will feature footage taken at the largest wind farm in Western Canada. The farm is said to have increased British Columbia's wind power capacity by more than 37%. In a press release I read, the location was noted to be a digital wind farm. What exactly is a digital wind farm, Eric? So there's a couple of ways that we utilize the digital technology with the wind farm. One is uh, how to optimize the placement of the 
wind turbines themselves because we do a lot of the uh, 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 metrology there to understand the wind flows and those kinds of things. And then understanding how to place the wind turbines because as one wind turbine would pull the energy out of the wind, you want to make sure it has enough time to recover before it hits the uh, next wind turbine downstream, understanding the terrain, how to, how to extract as mo- much energy as possible and the right way to place the turbines and the right sizes of the turbines uh, that you put out there. And then even beyond that, understanding uh, how to dispatch the turbines, how to bid into the markets. We have digital tools around that, too, with a lot of modeling technology to go ahead and make sure the economic value of the energy that's being captured is being bid into the markets appropriately. Okay, so you're doing that and, I, I guess, assisting the owners of the turbines, which would most likely be a power company. Is that uh, Do you have, like, long-term Correct. contracts that you're doing that through? Well, it, during the construction phase, we would help with the placement of that, the development on that, and then uh, making sure that we help the turbines bid in properly would be done during the operations. And we would work with either the utilities, the independent power producers, or the owners of the wind farms on those. Okay. Tuesday's Drone Week episode is titled The Solar Tipping Point. The crew visits the world's largest solar park in Dubai in the UAE. The park is said to use GE LV5 solar inverters. Can you offer listeners some insight into what GE is doing to improve solar inverters, Eric? So with uh, with solar, uh, a lot of what we're working on right now is on the electrical systems uh, for the solar. So it's the inverter technology and the overall electrical balance of plant that goes around that, the transformers, the substations, that type of technology uh, that's in there. And a couple of things that uh, that we've been working on specific in the uh, the Middle East, uh, it, it's uh, the LV-5 is a technology, 98.5% uh, efficiency uh, for that inverter, so taking it from the DC that's coming off the solar panels to the AC. And the other portion of it is, too, that we've gone to higher voltages on the DC side. So we've gone to 1,500 volts uh, on the DC side in the Middle East. And by going to these higher voltages, it drives down the cost. So you have uh, less collectors because you can string together more of the panels to get to the 1,500 volt rating. And then secondly, uh, it drives down the cabling costs because as you go up in voltage, you can drive the same amount of power through a smaller cable. So it drives down the cable cost. So overall, we're looking at the efficiency of the plant and the cost effectiveness of the plant. Okay. And and I assume that has been changing greatly over time. Obviously, when, when solar panels first came out, they probably probably weren't particularly efficient. And, and you guys are constantly innovating, I'm guessing, and, and trying to drive yeah. these even more in more efficient. It, 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 Exactly. One of the keys is that when we're looking at uh, renewable technology, you want to look at what energy capture do you have. So whether it's kinetic energy going into wind or whether it's the solar energy going into the solar panels, and you want as much of that energy to be transferred into electricity through the conversion process and then brought to the point of interconnection at the uh, uh, where it connects into the transmission network. And that's where a lot of the focus is. How do we drive up voltages? Because that will drive up efficiencies. When you do it, it'll drive down costs. How do we look at the conversion process by looking at uh, higher frequency on the conversions, different materials in the conversion, 
a different way to do that process and drive that through. If it's on wind turbines, we're looking at how to do the uh, uh, the conversion from kinetic energy to torque, from torque to electricity. On the wind turbines, we'll do that through what are called doubly fed induction generators. And uh, that allows asynchronous generation. We've been moving up the voltages on those. We've been uh, getting more efficient power conversion on those too. On, on renewables, you really want that efficiency because you have free energy coming in. You want to convert as much of that as possible to electricity. All right. And that makes great sense. On Wednesday, October 11th, Drone Week will have footage taken from a high-capacity variable-speed pumped storage hydropower station that's built in Switzerland. What sort of involvement would GE have in a project like that? So we we do the hydroelectric generators and we do the uh, the pumps uh, that are portion of this too. And the key the key of of this is. When, when electricity is being produced, either by renewable, by nuclear, by other types of technologies, and you want to store that for long periods of time, a very economic way to do that is through pumped hydro storage. If there is a reservoir that already exists, if, if there's already the dams uh, that are there, it's an efficient way to do that. And you can store for long periods of time. And this is a way to take the energy store it, and then reconvert it back to electricity uh, when it's uh, either more economic or when it's needed for uh, for peaking. Uh, because it's uh, instead of having to start up uh, some of the older peaking technology that may be out there, would be much easier to use a hydro plant. And I, I think part of the message that's that's coming through, I hope, on this is the diversity of the energy portfolio. Because not everyone can put in a pumped hydro plant because you have to have the, uh, you know, the natural mountains or other or other areas there to, to store the, the water. Where that's accessible, it's a great option there. In other parts, you may use uh, battery energy storage rather than pumped hydro, and we have that technology too. So you can shift back and forth between types of technologies. Yeah, and I think that is a great point. You know, there's going to be different solutions for different situations, and each one is probably a little bit unique. Um, in these pump storage yeah. facilities, are they mostly using, like, wind energy and solar energy during those times when it's available to do the pumping? And then when the wind and solar dies out, then they're using the, the reverse and, and basically producing electricity with the hydro generators? Yeah, and, and it it can be used that way many times. It, it is used in, in that capacity, uh, but any electricity can be used to go ahead and drive the, uh, the, the flow of the water up back into the reservoir. Sure. But many times it's combined with either renewable in parts of the United States. It would be combined with nuclear, where you want to run your nuclear plants at full load uh, all the time. You may use pumped uh, pumped hydro at night to utilize that electricity to pump the water back up again, and then use that to offset peaks during the day. Sure, that makes good sense too. To uh, when cost is low and the generation isn't particularly needed, you use it to to do the pumping, and then when costs are high during peak times, you you're generating. So that's a great point. Exactly. Exactly. The episode on Thursday, October 12th, will look at the unique challenges facing Indonesia, which happens to be the fourth most populous country in the world. 
It has been using mobile power units to deliver reliable electricity in many of its communities. What can you tell listeners about the benefits of mobile power? So this, this is an exciting area where you look at the country of Indonesia. Indonesia has uh, 250 plus million uh, people in their population, but they also have 18,000 islands. And with the distributed net networks that they have to have there, the the standard uh, European or U.S. hub-and-spoke model doesn't work quite as well over there. So they have to have more distributed power. One of the solutions that uh, that we're using there is our trailer mount uh, uh, LM2500 units, a TM2500. And that is a jet engine that we purchased from our aviation division within GE. We use the jet engine instead of to make thrust, we make rotational energy out of that and drive a generator with it. And it produces uh, 37 megawatts of power, but it's a very mobile solution. So we can drop it off at the port, drive it across the, the, the island, drop it in place, and it's 37 megawatts of power. You can stack a number of these together to create the electricity that's needed for that island overall. What's great about it, too, is it's very reliable, and it's very fast start. So uh, if you only need a couple of machines running and another load comes on, you can start it up in less than 10 minutes. You can have it from 0 to 37 megawatts from a cold start. It's a very flexible power uh, that we're using there, and it's displacing. It's using natural gas, and it's displacing some of the diesel gensets uh, that had been used historically. So it's a, a cleaner solution more cost-effective solution, and it's a very reliable solution. So we're excited about that. We use this in many parts of, uh, of the world, and we even use uh, the land-based version, the non-trailer-mounted version, in uh, many parts of uh, the developed world, too, where we would put it in in California, put it in Europe. And then they're using those more like as a peaking unit in those locations? Yeah, we're, we're using them as a peaking unit there too. And another interesting hybrid that we built off of that too, that is not covered during drone week, but it's a very interesting application is our hybrid electric gas turbine where we combine energy storage with our aero derivatives. And by doing that, we can, uh, we can do the uh, uh, kind of the load following or the uh, spinning reserve capabilities without actually running the gas turbine, we handle that through the energy storage. And then when longer duration uh, runs are needed, then we start up the gas turbine very quickly and, and produce that part and therefore drive down emissions and drive down costs even further. Okay. Now in these units that you mentioned, you know, going back to the Indonesia example, um, are they using these on the islands as a permanent uh, resource then, or is this just kind of a mobile thing that they bring in until they can develop a larger plant that might be more permanent? Yeah, and and it it works in, in a couple of different ways. And many times it's a way of getting fast power in, and then many times the customers or the countries wind up making it a permanent solution. We're okay with uh, with either there. And, but it's a very fast way to get the power in. And then it, when uh, many of the customers see what a great solution it is, they wind up keeping it. Okay. 
Yeah, I can see how with these mobile, then, mobile units you can get them in quickly and, and set up uh, relatively fast compared to building a plant from the ground yeah. up. Yeah, and then sometimes they even turn them from simple cycle to combined cycle units and put steam turbines in the back end of them over a longer period of time to make them even more efficient. Okay, they can do that even with the mobile plants then? Uh, yeah, we just have to put the steam generators in. Okay. And finally, on Friday of Drone Week, the episode covers data-powered cities. Specifically, the crew travels to San Diego, where the world's largest smart city IoT platform is being deployed by Current, which I believe is a GE subsidiary. Can you talk a little bit about that, Eric? Yeah, and, and this is a very exciting. One of the, the reasons that uh, we stood up the current business inside of GE is is to run a lot of these experiments out on the edge of the grid. How do we do things inside of buildings? How do we do things uh, uh, really out at the edge of the electrical systems? And we see the lighting, LED lighting and lighting fixtures as the next physical to digital interface. And what else can you do with street lighting? What else can you do with lighting inside of buildings uh, beyond just producing the light? And when we start putting sensors in there, when we start putting in Wi-Fi and other things, it's a fast way to really gather a lot of information. And, and so whether we put cameras uh, in with our uh, lighting that we're putting on the streets to go ahead and understand uh, the, the flows of people on the streets, crosswalk detection, uh, car movement, uh, whether we're doing uh, sound detection to understand certain sounds, whether you put emission detectors in there, there is so much more we can do uh, with this uh, out on the edge. It's very exciting. We're working with a number of cities on this. San Diego is one of the thought leaders uh, in the space here and creating that connected infrastructure. And then you can also use this to create Wi-Fi hubs and other things to go ahead and create that uh, for the cities themselves. So we're excited about the opportunities and uh, great to be working with uh, a city like San Diego on this. So obviously, technology is really causing a lot of things to evolve. Drone Week highlights a lot of the solutions that are being implemented in different areas. But how do you see the bulk power system changing in the future? Really, as the energy transition is happening, as more and more renewable technologies are going in, the fossil uh, technologies uh, are, are really going to be there to uh, create a backbone uh, for the grid and the generation. The generation is changing over time, going from more centralized uh, generation to more distributed generation. We're working our way through that over time. And all of this has a very local component to it, uh, very distributed solutions over in Indonesia or other island countries. We have very, very central moving to distributed in other areas. And as we're making this transition, the focus that we have is on how do we make the grid more productive and the overall elect uh, electricity value network more productive, more efficient, and better throughput through the existing assets. And then how do we make it less complex to deal with? How do we make it less complex for uh, these end nodes, the prosumers that are coming on to deal with the grid? And how do we make it less complex for the utilities or the countries to deal with the number of prosumers that are, that are coming online? And all of this has to fit together in an ecosystem. But it's such an exciting time to be in energy uh, right now. 26, 27 years ago when I joined, 
most electricity was made by steam power, either coal or nuclear or hydro. And, and it was mostly done centralized. Now it's decentralizing more over time. There's more renewables. There's more types of uh, energy that's mixing in. Very exciting time to be part of this. And, and GE plays across the entire value chain. Great point. GE is a, a big player, no doubt. So thank you so much, Eric, for taking the time to speak with me. And I really do appreciate uh, all of the insight that you had about the different technologies that are used and, and how GE is playing in this uh, arena. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I, I enjoyed the interview. And with that, the third episode of the Power Podcast comes to an end. I hope listeners found our conversation interesting and will tune in to see Drone Week on the Viceland Network. I'm hoping to include links to online episodes when they are made available after the program airs. You can visit powermag.com, that's P-O-W-E-R-M-A-G.com, and search Drone Week for a web page that will connect you to those episodes. If you want to view the program when it airs the week of October 9th, check your local cable and satellite providers for the channel and showtime. I'd again like to thank Eric Gebhardt for taking the time to speak with me today. I'm Aaron Larson, Executive Editor of Power. Thanks for listening. Watch for the next episode of the Power Podcast coming soon.